Hello again, my name is Brian Delaney, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Road Safety at Rush Hour, a podcast dedicated to discussing the latest topics in roadway safety and innovation. This podcast is presented by the Roadway Safety Foundation, a national nonprofit organization dedicated to reducing the frequency and severity of motor vehicle crashes, injuries, and fatalities through improvements to roadway systems and their environment. On this episode, we will be discussing pedestrian safety with a focus on the safe systems approach to designing roads in an urban environment. On the phone with me today, I am thrilled to have Leah Shaham, the founder and executive director of Vision Zero Network, a collaborative campaign helping communities reach their goals of eliminating all traffic fatalities and severe injuries while increasing safe, healthy, equitable mobility for all. Leah, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Brian. I'm thrilled to be here. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about pedestrian safety in the United States today. So the United States Department of Transportation's National Highway Traffic Safety Administration recently released its 2018 statistics on motor vehicle fatality crashes. And across the nation, the number of people killed in traffic crashes is down by 2.4% which is exciting, and we're very happy about that. But the overall fatality rate did continue its 40-year downward trend. Unfortunately, however, there was a significant increase in the traffic-related deaths for both pedestrians and cyclists, which increased by 3.4% and 6.3% respectively. So in total, that's about 259 more pedestrian and cyclists were killed in 2018 over 2017. So I must ask, Leah, why are pedestrian fatalities increasing throughout the United States, and what can we do to reduce these fatalities? You know, it's a troubling trend, certainly. You know, I think when we look at how we as a nation, and I'd say really globally, we've been investing our safety resources historically. And by that, I mean the last few generations. We've really worked hard to make people inside the motor vehicle safer. Not 100%. We have a lot more room to improve, of course. But a lot of our attention, whether it's technology or policies or regulations, et cetera, have really focused on driver safety. And again, we need to keep doing that. We've really overlooked the overwhelming dangers for people outside the cars. And that's people walking, biking, motorcycling, taking scooters increasingly. Now, at the same time, we're seeing, I would say, really encouraging trend of more and more people moving to cities, urban environments, more and more people saying, hey, I don't want to have to drive a car everywhere I go. I want the choice to walk or bike to work or to the playground, or to a movie. Um, So we're really, I I think we've disadvantaged um, those who are really trying to to take up the activities we've been encouraging in terms of health and environment and economic benefits. So we've got a lot of work to do there. That's right. Vision Zero Network, talk to me a little bit about what you're doing. What does the Vision Zero Network do, and what kind of activities and programs do you promote? We are a small nonprofit, but we've got a a lot of a lot of ambition. Our goal is to help the U.S. move towards and eventually achieve zero traffic deaths or severe injuries among all road users. And I want to really emphasize that um, it's everyone: people driving, people walking, people biking. Again, every mode: transit, motorcycles. Um, we certainly have seen, understandably, more emphasis on pedestrian safety in our work um, uh, promoting Vision Zero because, again, as the numbers you cite, are so disproportionately problematic and so dangerous. So in our work, again, we're a small nonprofit, but we're really trying to support 
the efforts already happening across the country. And I'm really um, proud and impressed to say that more than 45 communities across the U.S., um, some as big as Chicago and New York City, some as small as West Palm Beach and La Mesa, California, 45, and, and I think even more now, communities have officially and publicly committed to this goal of Vision Zero. Again, the goal of zero traffic deaths or severe injuries among all road users. And our work's really supporting them to say, hey, what can we learn from each other? Let's not recreate the wheel. You know, if, if, if the city of Denver can help the city of San Antonio, which can then, you know, learn from Durham, North Carolina, et cetera, we want that to happen. And I think, you know, maybe stepping back to say, why is Vision Zero different? What's the real big difference? It, it's that Vision Zero obviously sets that very bold and, and I would say um, morally appropriate goal that everyone should have the right to safe mobility. You know, just like in a civilized society, we all generally understand and agree that people have the right to, to clean air to breathe, the right to clean, safe drinking water to drink, right? And when those things are, are violated, there are problems and there's pushback. We really need to be setting up uh, uh, the expectations and and really the, the culture shift that mobility, safe mobility specifically, is a right to. And Vision Zero really comes out in a very, very different way. As you had mentioned, numerous communities, cities, states across the United States that are adopting the Vision Zero plan. And I'd like to take a little bit of time to talk about what that looks like. In particular, I want to focus on New York City. New York City adopted a Vision Zero plan, from my understanding, in 2014 and has witnessed the number of traffic fatalities fall to an all-time low. Uh, an all-time low of two, 202 in 2018, breaking the 2017 record low and remaining consistent with a five-year decline since 2013. Now, in New York City, a focus on policy that promotes safer mobility is obviously a massive contributor to this decline. What are some of the unique policies that are implemented, that were implemented in New York City that have contributed towards this success? It's a great question. And I think we have a lot to learn from New York. It's obviously it is so big and so different than every other American city, but the strategies they used really are, are, are comparable and can be used and, and repeatable. Um, I really think it's about scaling. So when you talk to New York City folks, and these are folks who lead their transportation department in their mayor's office, you know, in their policy world, when you ask them what's made the biggest difference and really cut traffic deaths by nearly a third just in these last four years, they'll tell you a couple things. Um, number one, first and foremost, is managing speed, really prioritizing safety over speed. And they've done that in a bunch of ways. And they're still doing it. It's certainly you know, an ongoing uh, work. But they are, they've lowered speed limits, the basic speed limit citywide, from 30 miles per hour to 25 and they really promoted that and, and realized that well, people didn't even know what the speed limit was. They had no idea, individual drivers. So really promoted that and explained why 25 is safer. They added cameras, safety cameras or speed cameras in school zones. That was a really big battle at the state level, but it's been tremendously successful. The data shows that where they put these speed cameras, not only are people speeding less, they're crashing less, fewer injuries, and with time, fewer and fewer 
tickets are being given out, which is a good sign that people are actually changing their behavior, which of course is the whole goal. The goal is not tickets or, or funding. The goal is behavior change. Right. So it's really been that and then redesigning streets. And, and that's the other big piece they'll say is building complete streets, really making sure that you know, the streets, the design, and often that's redesign, right? Redesigning existing streets are safe, comfortable, and inviting for people walking and biking, and that the speeds are appropriate for people walking and biking, too. So what is New York City doing to make these complete streets? What, what kind of programs with regards to infrastructure have they been able to implement that has resulted in this decline in traffic crashes, pedestrian fatalities? You know, I think what impresses me about what they're doing is that they're not creating a new toolbox. They haven't gone out and you know come up with a whole new set of countermeasures or, or strategies to change things. I think the difference is you know, smart people out there, smart people who are engineers and planners and, and, and roadway designers, system designers, know what works. And that toolkit's out there. I mean, it's getting better and better over time, of course, but it's out there. And, and I'll give some examples, but I think what New York City has done that is different and the lesson to be learned from other communities interested in really making sure people are safe on the streets is showing the political will and the leadership to make change. You know, we know change is hard. That's usually usually what the pushback is, is change. People don't want some sort of change. So the kinds of, of strategies that New York City has been using, and many cities, you know, I'll say from Seattle to Washington, D.C., to L.A., to Orlando, Florida, Things like traffic calming um, and, and road diets or, or right-sizing the roads. Maybe they have, I'll give an example, um, in New York City, there was a big street. There is a big street called Queens Boulevard. And sure. it's a very wide, fast-moving, arterial street, lots of traffic, car traffic. And they were having a really high number of deaths there. I mean, it was astronomical and one of the most dangerous streets in the whole city of New York. And people called it the Boulevard of Death. Yet still... Still, even though everyone knew this was such a problem, there was pushback to change. Now, over years and years, you know, they did a lot of work on it and the Vision Zero kind of mantle. And I think really that, again, that political leadership and that public engagement and the acknowledgement that, hey, this is a really an ethical responsibility. This isn't just about convenience or inconvenience, speed or not speed. It's about saving lives and, and ensuring people can move about their communities. And there has been a change. And I'm really happy to say that New York City leaders did step up. They did push the change. And there was certainly pushback. You know, it wasn't easy, but they made the change. And the street is dramatically safer now. Like, I don't know the stats off the top of my head, but it's been a complete turnaround or almost complete turnaround from a really dangerous area to a comfortable, safe area. And again, they, they road dieted it. They um, reduced a few of the travel lanes. They added and widened a protected bike lane, so a physically protected bike lane. They added time for pedestrians crossing, and they made the pedestrian crossing much more visible and, and, and clear to see. They changed the signal timing, all sorts of things where, again, there's two elements. One, managing speed, so the lower speeds, and two, redesigning the street physically so there was dedicated and safe places for people walking and biking. I really like what you said about having the public buy-in, having the mm. leaders of these communities, having their buy-in, and then various stakeholders, their buy-in as well. I think that that's very important when it comes to designing the Vision Zero plan and having a complete overall program that can ultimately lead to some sort of change and, and reduction in fatalities. 
And I want to talk a little bit more about that. I think New York City is a really great example of a safe systems approach in action. And New York City includes numerous public departments and stakeholders, as we talked about. How is the safe systems approach going to move us towards zero pedestrian fatalities, do you think? Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I think it's it is really important to understand the thing that makes Vision Zero different, again, besides that big goal of zero and that you know very, very audacious uh, goal, is what's underneath it. The foundation is the Safe Systems Foundation. And I'll just give an example of, of where we're seeing that work so well when it's been implemented for, for a while. And let me say, it's going to take time. This isn't going to be a, a quick turnaround for most of our communities. Um, but in the country of Sweden that started this Vision Zero approach and really led this way, in the 20 years that they've been working on Vision Zero, they have really implemented the safe systems approach and they have seen the number of traffic deaths in their country cut by half. And I want to compare that for a second and say, you know, that's not just because they're a smaller country. It's not, but they, they have not, their population has grown, their mobility options have grown. Nothing, you know, nothing has changed in that way. But to compare them, because I think it's interesting to compare rates, you know, the US and Sweden used to be very similar in the 60s and 70s. We both had really distressing, awful traffic death rates, so per 100,000 population. Now, in the U.S. today, we're at about average 12 traffic deaths per 100,000 people. Sweden is at about two, just over two traffic deaths per 100,000 people. Though if you went back 40 years ago, we were both at that high number, actually a little higher even. But they've made a significant change, and it really is that safe systems approach. So like you say, it's really thinking about the system as a whole piece um, or, or a whole connected network. Um, it's really thinking about, honestly, it comes down to physics in a lot of ways. It sounds kind of funny and basic, but in the end, it really is a physics question. Um, because I should, I should clarify, Vision Zero is not literally saying there's going to be no crashes, um, because I think we all realize, and, and, and part of the safe systems approach is, hey, people are going to make mistakes. Humans are fallible. Even the promise of technology as, as it's you know improving, there are going to be mistakes. But and we want to minimize, obviously, we want to minimize those crashes. But what Vision Zero is really doing is focusing on the severity. So when they say, hey, there are going to be crashes, but if people can walk away with just a fender bender or just a broken ankle, we can live with that. What we're trying to do is prevent the severe ones. And that really comes down to, again, physics, how the speed at which things are crashing into each other. And to put it really bluntly, you know, whether one thing is covered by, you know, steel or not. So, you know, a car and a pedestrian, I think we know who's going to win that one. And it really comes down to, or I should say, you know, lose that one, but it really comes down to the speeds that those folks are traveling when there are crashes. So how do we have separation between the road users? How do we um, bring down those speeds? Part of the safe systems, again, is really understanding, hey, it's a, we're fallible and it's up to the system designers. It's really putting more of the, frankly, the responsibility on the roadway designers, the policymakers, the electeds to honestly do the right safe thing, even if it is going to slow people down. resources that you provide to 
communities and industry leaders, stakeholders, the public are very valuable. I was reading one of your Vision Zero Network case studies online titled, How Does Vision Zero Differ from the Traditional Traffic Safety Approach in U.S. Communities? And I know we've talked about that a little bit today on the podcast. And I was intrigued by the idea of this road safety as a social equity issue. Can you talk a little bit about this distinction that you're making in this report? Sure. And thank you. I'm, I'm glad you made time for that. It, it's really important. And it's certainly an area I'm learning more and more about also. You know, first, I think it's partly because of Vision Zero's data-driven approach. And, and to, to focus on that, it really is saying, hey, we know generally where the problems are. Let's use the data to dedicate and, and guide our very limited resources, our limited staff time. Let's do that. Well, when we dig into the data in community after community, what we see is that not all places have been created equal or equitably. And I think we can all see that in our, our own communities. When we look at the national numbers, the national numbers show that low-income people in the U.S. are twice as likely to be killed while walking. People, um, people who are African-American or Latino are twice as likely to be killed while walking as white Americans. We also know that high-income neighborhoods are twice as likely to have sidewalks and dedicated bikeways as low-income neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera. And you can really, um, you can see the pattern there. I know in, in, you know, my city, in San Francisco, it's the case, and almost every city I've visited, you can really see how the roads have been built differently. The, the neighborhoods have been designed differently or maybe redesigned. Oftentimes it, it's come later. But what we've seen is that in those communities that, that have been more devalued, whether it's low-income, communities of color traditionally, you know, those communities have been the ones where the freeways touch down, where the fast, high-moving roads move through, where the sidewalk system has not been built out as connected as well. Um, and those things, they have impacts, right? To have that unsafe physical environment or less safe physical environment really means that that some people are not having the same safe options. So I, I'm really proud that you know, this isn't a new problem. Obviously, it's it's many, many, many um, gen- generations in the making. But what we're really hoping that advocates for safe mobility will do is really come at this also really thinking with a social justice lens and an equity lens to say, hey, you know, given that some communities have really been um, underinvested in or disinvested, let's really think about how we uh, use equity priorities to put more of the resources and, and do more of the, the life-saving, you know, strategies in those communities that need them most. And, and frankly, you know, they deserve, I'd say, more than their quote-unquote fair share of resources at this point. So, you know, I know in my city of San Francisco, rather than, say, sprinkling the transportation safety dollars exactly, exactly equally amongst the city council districts, which is the way politics normally tells us to do things, right? It actually is looking at the data and saying, hey, out of 11 city council districts in my city, two of them bear the clear, vast, disproportionate burden of traffic safety. And you can look at the streets and see why. It's lots of fast streets, et cetera, et cetera. Those communities also is where we have our highest numbers of low income and communities of color. Interestingly, also children and uh, homes without vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. So what our city council is really doing is saying, hey, rather than splitting the money up equally, we're going to invest more in these two neighborhoods. And to their credit, the elected city leaders, even those from the other neighborhoods, understand, hey, may not, they may not be getting their quote-unquote fair share, but they're doing the right thing by investing. And in an age of gentrification in many urban areas, I think when we look at things from an urban planning perspective, it's important to have 
uh, social equity in mind when we're creating road and transportation systems because they indefinitely impact the community and how the community functions. I was going to say, I would be remiss if I didn't mention one, one other quick thing regarded to equity, and that is around the concerns with law enforcement. And I think it's really important to say, you know, uh, I believe law enforcement has a role in traffic safety. Uh, I think there are concerns, certainly in some places more than others, um, concerns about how enforcement is, is carried out in an equitable, le- equitable way, especially when we think about communities of color and, and real concerns about over-policing, et cetera. So one thing we're really emphasizing as Vision Zero is, hey, the safe systems approach is really focusing on the systems underneath. That's the environment, the physical environment. How are we building our streets? How are we setting our policies? We really want enforcement to be the last kind of straw. You know, you're, we're not going to we're not going to get our, out of this problem leading with enforcement. That, that's certainly not the way for a lot of good reasons. Um, so we really want to encourage people to understand that Vision Zero should not be and is not um, pushing the idea of, hey, let's just throw more police at the problem. A, that's not you know financially sustainable. B, that raises a lot of concerns um, around equity considerations. So it's just something I wanted to share as well. Absolutely. And I think that's important, the law enforcement perspective of transportation safety, traffic safety, and, and the Vision Zero plan. It's absolutely part of the system, and we would be remiss if we didn't include it. Absolutely. So I thank you for, for bringing that up. That's a great point. So before we conclude this podcast episode, I would like to ask you one final question, Leah. From your perspective, what does the future look like for road safety and infrastructure? With zero transportation fatalities as our goal, what needs to happen going forward? Wow, that is a great question and a big one. Um, you know, I, I, so many different levels. I think, you know, I think we are going to see uh, the public really engage more on this topic. I think we're going to see more, you know, regular folks out there demanding safe streets, really engaging. And I think groups like Families for Safe Streets, which is a growing community-led movement, is a good sign of that. I think we're going to see electeds, especially at the local level, respond more. And then I think the locals are really going to be pushing the state and the federal levels um, to be making more space, especially for people walking and biking and taking transit. You know, I think uh, we've we've changed so much in this country over the last you know decade or so to really understand the value of providing good, safe, healthy, affordable, equitable mobility options. It's certainly going to take culture change. I think that culture change is is really ha- starting to happen and really needs to be led by, you know, those kind of in the system. So again, elected leaders, system designers, community advocates, uh, public health officials, law enforcement, you know, if they can really embrace the, the understanding that these crashes are not accidents, that they are by and large preventable. And it's really about stepping up and using the tools we have, showing the political will and really um, putting the public pressure towards safety for all. I think we can make a dramatic change, and I think our communities will be a lot safer, a little bit slower moving, um, and a lot more enjoyable for everybody. I think the transportation infrastructure, overall transportation network and system in, in the United States is changing. It's forever evolving, and with the movement towards new technologies and safe systems approached, and even a movement towards shared mobility and being able to utilize Uber and Lyft and shared bikes and scooters in a lot of urban environments, it'll be an interesting shift to see how our transportation system develops as we move down the line. I want to thank you, Lee. 
Leah so much for taking the time to speak with us, talking about the Vision Zero network and a safe systems approach to road safety and the efforts occurring particularly in New York City, but also all throughout the United States to make a safer and more equitable transportation system throughout the country. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and contributing your invaluable insights to the podcast. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate the opportunity. And I'll encourage people, if you want to know more, check out visionzeronetwork.org. You can see the map and see if your community is there yet. And if not, if you want to get involved and, and help them work towards Vision Zero, we would really appreciate it. And let me also say thank you to the Roadway Safety Foundation for their great work. We appreciate it. Thank you. So in closing, on behalf of the Roadway Safety Foundation, I would like to thank everyone for tuning in to this podcast of our podcast series, Road Safety at Rush Hour. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the Roadway Safety Foundation and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast network. Leah, again, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, this is Brian Delaney signing off, wishing you safe travels all day and every day. Thank <laughs> you.